Today's podcast features an article from Discern Magazine. The four Gospels overwhelmingly focus on Jesus' public ministry, the period of his life from roughly the age of 30 to 33. We have many details from those roughly three and a half years he spent preaching and performing miracles up and down Galilee and Judea. However, we know very little about those first 30 years of his physical life. We only have a few small glimpses into those early years. Unfortunately, some have tried to fill in this gap. Some of the so-called lost gospels include strange stories about Jesus' youth, which were undoubtedly contrived from the imaginations of men. Sometimes movies try to take artistic license with this mysterious portion of his life. Be cautious and skeptical about any source that promotes invented ideas about Jesus' early years. Discerning Christians should rely solely on the inspired scriptures for their understanding. So does the Bible tell us anything about Jesus' early years? Does this period of his life offer any lessons that can help us walk as he walked? In this episode, let's explore what the Bible does tell us about the birth and the early childhood years of Jesus. Let's first look at his birth in Bethlehem. Jesus' birth is only mentioned in two of the four gospel accounts, Matthew and Luke. Luke, by far, gives the most detail. Since he wasn't physically present for Jesus' birth, he likely interviewed some of the individuals who were there, perhaps Mary herself and some of the shepherds who came after Jesus was born. Luke describes Joseph and Mary traveling to Bethlehem, which is a small town near Jerusalem, to be registered in a mandatory Roman census. We read that in Luke 2, verses 1 through 2. Many incorrectly believe this took place in late December, but it is very unlikely that the Romans, who were some of the most efficient administrators in the history of empires, would have scheduled a major census during the rainy winter season of the year, when travel would be more difficult. Furthermore, in verse 8 of Luke 2, we read that the shepherds were out in the field at the same time of his birth. Shepherds would not have traditionally been out in the field during the cold, rainy months of December. Though we can't know the exact date, there are many reasons to believe that Jesus was likely born around the fall of the year, most likely in 4 BC. Luke continues in verse 6 that, while they were in Bethlehem, the days were completed for her to be delivered. In other words, Mary went into labor. Luke says in verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. People often mistakenly say, Jesus was born in a manger. But did you notice in the text it did not say he was born in a manger? That is an inaccurate statement. It says he was laid in a manger. Well, what is a manger? A manger is simply a feeding trough, an animal feeding trough. It was typically made from a small hollowed out piece of limestone. The manger in this case served as a makeshift crib for the infant Jesus. So it doesn't say that Jesus was born in a manger. He was placed in a manger after his birth as a kind of a crib. Luke then goes on to describe how the birth of Jesus, who was the Christ, the one who would eventually rule over the entire earth according to many prophecies, was recognized and honored only, really, by a group of shepherds working nearby in the fields. Typically, the birth of a future king would have been celebrated with great pomp and fanfare. 
even a prince in the royal family today has his birth celebrated, and it's, it's widely known by many people. But not this future king. Instead of being laid in a plush cradle in a fancy palace, this future king was laid in a feeding trough, likely made out of limestone, and welcomed into the world only by a carpenter, his young bride, and a group of shepherds working the night shift. Now, many incorrectly believe that there were also three wise men there, three wise men or kings, sometimes they're called magi. However, a close reading of the text shows that they were not there the night of his birth. The Bible doesn't say they were there. They actually arrived much later, probably weeks or months after Jesus' birth. But going back to his birth, we can learn a very important lesson from it. Jesus was born in very meager and humble circumstances. And this actually foreshadowed how he would live his physical life. Throughout his life, he personified humility and was entirely focused on serving others. It's interesting, about 33 and a half years later, on the eve of his crucifixion, he understood the importance of this lesson by getting down on his knees and washing his disciples' feet, giving an example of humble service. Yes, it's really interesting to think about. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, spent his first night on earth sleeping in a feeding trough, and he spent his last night on earth washing the dirty feet of 12 grown men. That's just who he was and how he lived his life. That's the example he left us. Not only should that deepen our love and appreciation for him, but it should also motivate us to live in the same way. Now, before we move on from the story of Jesus' birth, there is something we need to consider and address. Some call the story of Jesus' birth the Christmas story. Well, is that accurate? Should we call this account the Christmas story? Actually, this is one of the most egregious misnomers in history. Jesus' birth has absolutely no connection with the holiday we call Christmas today. The first mention of the Christmas holiday doesn't appear in recorded history until about the year A.D. 336. That's about 340 years after the actual birth of Jesus Christ. Many historical sources identify the Christmas holiday as an outgrowth of various pagan celebrations that occurred in late December in the Greco-Roman religious world. Most of those celebrations were centered on the worship of the sun and were held in late December to coincide with the winter solstice. Since the winter solstice marks the transition from shortening daylight to lengthening daylight, many pagan cultures celebrated the death and rebirth of the sun god during this time. In Rome, the two primary December celebrations were the birthday feast of Sol Invictus, which is Latin for the unconquered sun, a certain sun god in the Roman pantheon, And that was celebrated on December 25th, interestingly. And then there was also the Saturnalia, which was a seven-day festival honoring the god Saturn, which was usually celebrated between December 17th and December 23rd. Now, at the same time these festivals were going on, there was also another festival to celebrate the birth of Mithra, who was a Persian sun god that had a cult following in Rome. Now, as Christianity grew in numbers and prominence in Rome, the leaders of the Roman church took a a very pragmatic approach to easing the pagan masses into its ranks. Instead of just preaching and promoting repentance or to change from their pagan ways to repent and adopt biblical ways, 
The Roman leaders essentially rebranded many of the celebrations and practices of the pagan Roman world and rebranded them as Christian. The idea was to make the transition from paganism to Christianity easier. And Christmas is a prime example of this approach of rebranding. The winter solstice celebrations were rebranded as the nativity celebration of Jesus. The birth of the sun god was easily adjusted to become the birth of the son of God. This should raise giant red flags for discerning Christians trying to walk as he walked. Throughout the Old Testament, God told his people time and time again to avoid the worship practices of pagan religions. He told them to be careful and diligently worship him only in the way he commanded them. And when Jesus walked the earth, he taught his disciples the same standard. He taught them worship must be based on truth, not the commandments of men. John 4.24 Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So this is why we should never call the birth of Jesus or that story the Christmas story. It's not the Christmas story. It's an important account and it's part of the word of God but it is not the Christmas story, and it has no association with the holiday we call Christmas today. Now let's move on from Christ's birth to another detail we read about in the Gospels, Joseph and Mary and Jesus fleeing to Egypt. Sometime after Jesus' birth, an angel appeared to Joseph and warned him that he needed to temporarily relocate his family to Egypt to keep his young child, the Christ, safe from King Herod, who was trying to find and kill him. So we read that Joseph heeded the warning and hastily fled with his family to Egypt. Now, Egypt was an interesting place for him to go. Egypt was a very safe place since it was outside of Herod's jurisdiction, was well secured by Rome, and had a pretty large Jewish community that they could just blend in with. The family lived in Egypt until after Herod died. They may have been there for a few months or perhaps even a year or two, we're not told. After they returned from Egypt, Joseph settled his family in the Galilean town of Nazareth. That's why Jesus is often known as Jesus of Nazareth. That was his hometown. That was where he grew up. That was where he was from. Now, many in the region viewed people from Nazareth, or Nazarenes as they were sometimes called, as backward and uneducated, and at times Some people even question Jesus' legitimacy because of where he was from. Now, that's as an aside, a lesson we can learn is that we should avoid ever judging somebody from where he or she came from. That's not a right approach to take. But back to Joseph's actions. Joseph heeded the angel and he moved his family to avoid danger. And that can teach us a valuable, important lesson in obedience and wisdom. Joseph humbly obeyed the warning God gave him through the angel. The warning urged him to avoid danger. Tying in Proverbs 22 verse 3 is helpful here, which reads, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Joseph practiced this principle of wisdom. Foreseeing danger and taking precautions to avoid it is a major element of wisdom. God expects us to be wisely cautious, to wisely exercise caution in the matters we can control, while overall trusting God to provide protection in areas only He can control. So now as we're about to wrap up this episode, do we know anything more about Jesus' first 30 years? 
As we said earlier, the Gospel writers really do provide very few details about this early period of Jesus' life. But there are a few more details left to explore, and we'll explore those in a future episode of this podcast. But in the meantime, keep striving to walk as he walked. Thanks for listening. For more information from today's featured article, visit lifehopeandtruth.com.